Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to Cape Up. So, in last week's episode, Michael Steele called President-elect Donald Trump a pragmatic populist as a way of trying to understand how he might govern. In this episode, Steele expands on his explanation of how we got here in the first place, including why he thinks blacks didn't come out for Hillary. And you can listen to that right now. Let's start with the white vote, because the most fascinating thing to me on election night, watching John King go county by county, showing you, here's the vote 2016, here's the vote 2012, in all these rural counties that have few people, but look at the turnout. And when you think about it, yep. what Donald Trump did, is, I mean, did I mean, you said he pulled white votes out of his ass. I, <laughs> I was going to say, and I wrote, that it was like he did electoral fracking. His, I think my way of saying his, it was more sophisticated. It was more colorful. <laughs> but he, he, did. he, he did. with his populist he message, deep. racist message, the xenophobic message, all these things. So I, he no, was I'm able to with that. pull right. those votes right. out from places where the vote totals in these small counties was you know, negligible in 08, negligible in 12, and off the charts in 16. And the other thing is he was able to turn white Obama voters around. Okay, so let's talk about that, because that's a very important point. In essence, what Donald Trump did was he reawakened the Reagan Democrats, who, for the last 30 years or so, have largely been out of the political play. Some of them went down the line with hope and change in 08, but by 2012 had backed off. Most of them, however, stayed away from the field once Reagan left because they didn't like the players. They weren't feeling a lot of these folks um, that were coming up, Bush, Clinton, mm-hmm. et cetera. Bubba went back home in 92. A lot of that Southern white vote right. went to Clinton in 92 and 96, even though they weren't that happy about uh, what Mr. Clinton had been uh, doing in his personal life. That's that moral majority Christian conservative piece. But <laughs> they- And oh, and gee, their candidate now. I'm sorry, the no, president no, 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 elect. No, I know, I know that, and and and, and that's no. You're absolutely right. What occurred over that timeline was the evangelical majority, a moral majority Christian conservative, evolved because their kids and and society and all these other things going on around them. They kind of moved with that a little bit. They didn't mean that they were less evangelical, but you have to sit there and go, so, so something else sort of replaced abortion and marriage. Not that they weren't important, but what Donald Trump figured out what that something else was, because a lot of those blue-collar, middle-income, white, moral-majority, Christian, evangelical conservatives weren't working. So the economic issue overrode economic everything. Issue overrode having everything. A, having a president the, who right. you know, like lived a perfect life, who was a great, big moral example, that went right. out the window. And because you know where that came home to rest for me? When I saw the focus group of the white female mother of two, blue-collar worker from New Hampshire. Oh, her. Who said, Donald Trump is just like me. Right. I remember her. Right. That should have that should have been the key if the media has sort of taken the blinders off 
and seriously dug down and tried to understand why the hell would this white woman, blue-collar worker with two kids divorced, sit there and go, Donald Trump is just like me, he's one of us? If they didn't understand that, then they would they would have lost the opportunity to understand the rest of this election, which they did, and which is why no one could sit there and figure out what the hell happened on Tuesday night. What happened on Tuesday night was her. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. All of those people like her went to the polls. Then how does Donald Trump keep them from revolting when he doesn't follow through, when, when his pragmatic populism comes into play because and he doesn't they, build the wall and they, he doesn't they didn't, they didn't take him literally on that they're not holding him to that step. they trust him so then what do they they, wh- they trust him. they trust him to build the wall becomes a euphemism for securing the border it becomes a you know a, a sort of a model of how we keep the flow of illegal immigration illegal immigrants from coming into the country they trust him to do that the wall is the symbol for that. And that gets back to what we were talking about, the, the literally versus seriously Ex- thing. Absolutely. I'm being literal. So, so the, New York, being the New York elites took that literally, and their hair went on fire, and they got all exercised. And so when the, cam- when the cameras would show up and the reporters were breathless, so Donald Trump said that he's going to be, what do you think? And they're like, okay, you build a wall. I mean, they just played into us fine. But then they would say, they don't take him that literally. I'm still, I'm still focused on white voters and fearful of the of the uh, of the cynicism that will just be exacerbated. But understand why they're cynical. Understand why they're mad. No, these people have been lied to. And so they've been promised. But is there no fear that they are still being lied to? No, no, I don't. I don't get it. It, it, What happens when Obamacare is not repealed? Oh, it's going to be repealed. Oh, no, they're working on that. Okay, it's going to be repealed. Okay, then point two. What happens when 20 million people lose their health insurance? They won't. How? They're working on that. But Let's see uh, what they do. How? Wait, so they're going to repeal it and then work on replacing it later? To probably yeah, there, there are ways to do that. No, 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 not replace it later, but there are ways to address those 20 million people. They can be moved into a Medicaid-style program. Oh, oh, oh Medicaid? Wait, uh, I'm sorry. Okay, or moved that, into Medicaid. Okay, that is a whole other conversation. Yeah, but it's a legit— that, does, that doesn't sound very Republican to me. And, and, and what, I, excuse me, I, I, how did I start this conversation? I understand. Donald I, Trump is not a Republican. No, He's a I, pragmatic populist. Okay, I can ooh, I cannot wait to see this fight. Okay, right. and and that's my point. That is my whole point. You know, these guys walking around Capitol Hill think we okay now we got this. Okay, we you know he doesn't know what he's doing. We're going to show him the ropes. Trust me, that's not going to work with this man. It's just not going to work. Wow. I, I just okay. I mean that's just that's just what I think okay. is gonna happen. All right. We we are how many days after the election? Oh Lord Jesus. I, I don't remember. But black okay, folks. let's yeah, I was gonna say let's talk about our cousins. hmm So what do you think Pookie happened? didn't even register. Nope. What do you think happened? They d- didn't register, okay. they weren't moved. Okay, can 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 we just break this down? I thought uh, who, I thought it was who, already broke. No, no, no. <laughs> Bill Clinton was what for black folks? First black president. And Hillary was? His wife. But she wasn't the first black first lady. Okay. All right. There's no connection to her. Black folks have not had a connection to her. They've not had a real substantive feel for her. I mean, she, I mean, Hillary's there. I'm not saying that there's no respect mm-hmm. and none of that. Right. But there's just, there was, Hillary never animated the black community the way her husband did. Never. Not since 
she left office, not as Secretary of State. There was just there was never that kind of we got her back. And now Bill Clinton, something happened to him. Black folks are rallying around right now would rally to his side because of that connection that they have to him. That's how it is with Clinton, with Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. That's not the same kind of feel for that's her. A, that's an interesting observation. And you saw it, and you saw it play out with with black millennials. They weren't buying that. They weren't buying. They weren't buying necessarily what what Bernie Sanders was selling. Even though there were some black folks who kind of mm-hmm. went down that road. But there was nothing that tantalized them, that brought them into this process in a way in which they felt connected and real. They always saw, I won't say they always saw, a lot of the ones that I spoke to saw her as phony and fake and not authentic. That's how it was for them. Well, that's a, you know, your analysis, I think, is really, really interesting and on point when you look at it through the generational lens. Because yeah. millennials, absolutely, they were like, yep, Michael Steele is, is speaking my language. Older African Americans, however, do have a connection to her, but it's because of, of him. him. Right now, here's it's the not thing. personal. Right. If I have a if I have a connection with your friend over here in the corner, uh, through you, it's not the same as my connection right. with you. Right. That's what that's like. And the, the the thing that I found really fascinating, and I'd been saying all along, President Obama is going to be her biggest surrogate. He is going to make the legacy argument. If you, as he said at the CBC Foundation dinner, if you care about me and Michelle, you will go out and you will vote for Hillary Clinton. I will consider it a personal insult if you don't. And what happened? He got dissed. They dissed him. And uh, why? And let's understand the why. Because we just look at what happened and go, oh, damn. The why is... Again, I have a personal connection to the first black president of the United States. Yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying that, you know, I should like her and I should follow her and the legacy is going to be handed to her. But they didn't believe that, especially the legacy part. Because Hillary Clinton, I keep saying it over and over and over, was not a progressive. She's not even a liberal in in the traditional sense. She is a moderate Democrat. That's what she was. That's what she's always been. That's why she worked so well with Republicans when she was in the Senate. She's not a flame-throwing liberal, and she's not a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren progressive. And no one believed the lie. I, I'm a progressive who likes to get things done. I said that over and over and over again, and everyone kind of like looked at me like I had six hair, six eyes, or had grown some hair. <laughs> and but no, I want to know why it happened, because that's how you begin to understand at the core where this country is moving. Black millennials, and I'm saying this today, and we can mark the time and date, black millennials are in play politically. Very different from the way their parents were in play. Mm-hmm. I mean, to your point, their connection, their parents, is much more tied to the Democrat Party. Black millennials are in play for Republicans the formation of an independent party, um, a, a green... I mean, their political scope is much wider in the way they look at the world. They are fiscally conservatives. They're entrepreneurial, so they tend to be much more concerned about tax policy, debt policy, fiscal policy. They are socially moderate. They're not... I mean, again... Their gener- the generation before their parents, you know, they were the, the, the liberals, you know, who are going to go out and fight these great causes. Okay, 
they sum it up with Black Lives Matter. That's their way of expressing how we going how we will matter and how we do matter in these times. Yeah, we'll go out and protest, but that's not that's not their main vehicle for for getting their message across. They figured out how to utilize the political process through the ballot box, which they demonstrated on Tuesday. All right. By, by staying home? No, not by staying home. I mean, I, I, I don't even know if they stayed home per se. They just didn't vote top line. Hmm. I mean, I, you know, we say they stayed home, but I think, I think the numbers will show that there were more people who didn't vote for president and just voted down ballot than we, than we think. Hmm. And I think that that's going to be a revelation that will tell me that they were still politically engaged. They went out and they voted for the Democrat for, for the U.S. Senate or the you know, Republican for city council, whatever their vote happened to be. But on that top line ballot. Look, the only way black millennials or any constituency group, voting constituency group is in play is if both Democrats and Republicans compete for their votes. True. That's that's the traditional system. That is a traditional system. But Black millennials being in play, for them to be in play, that means the Republican Party is going to have to listen to what they're saying, Mm -hmm. address them directly, Mm -hmm. and address what they want done directly. Mm -hmm. I don't see that happening anywhere. How's how's that going to happen? I mean, Reince Priebus was on television talking about the demonstrations going on around the country, and he poo-pooed them saying, oh, you're so upset about the outcome of the election. You got to get over it. Mm -hmm. He's a president-elect now. And so, you know, just, you know, stop. Just deal with it. But if black millennials are in play, how is what Reince Priebus said going to be an Attractive well, I, I, to them look, at that, all. That's a that's a fair fair question, um, and my hope is that they will be in play for the Republican Party. That we will take our heads out of our asses and recognize that th- this country has changing is changing. Uh, by the time Donald Trump is up for re-election, you will have added a significant number of Hispanics, um, more African Americans, um, certainly more Asian Americans, more Asian Americans. So, again. You're talking about Reince, the RNC chairman, and what he's saying. I'm going to be looking to my pragmatic populist president to see what he does. Hmm. And I don't care about the fight inside the party so much because of what Donald Trump— I think that'll be good. The more Donald Trump does something that pushes the party further into a corner, um, I think the stronger he will be. And by in the corner, I mean to get them to back off and because they're not going to win that fight. Because he's got too many options. He's got he's going to have a willing partner in Chuck Schumer, you know. And I can see the negotiations on infrastructure right now. I can see them. I could I could literally right now walk you through how that would play out without the GOP. Even though they have the majority in the House and the Senate, he could cobble together the votes. You know why? Because there are Republicans who would buy into that. There are Republicans who would buy in that in the House. Everyone focuses on on the uh, Freedom Caucus, all right, that 40, that contingent mm-hmm. of 40 or so conservatives. How many Republicans are there? And from what parts of the country are they? You mean to tell me those, country, those, those Republicans west of the Mississippi don't have an interest in infrastructure? Just as we see certain, certain Democrats who are going to be on the ballot in 2018 in red states don't have an interest in working with this mm-hmm. administration? He can triangulate in ways that George Bush and, and Barack Obama 
could not. Because he's not tied down to a party. He's not tied down to a party. And he, so then that, he is the freest president we've had in a generation, at least a generation, uh, who is not is not beholden to the agenda of an establishment party. Who child from your lips to God's ears? I mean, so that I means, told you I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Yeah, bourbon. Yeah. Um, so the freedom. So Some what you're saying bourbon, there is the Freedom Caucus is basically defanged. Essentially, that caucus that that made then Speaker John Boehner live in fear of his political life every day is now defanged. I won't say that they probably got one fang left. And wow. that's gonna be that's gonna be Ryan's that's gonna be Ryan's issue. That's not that's not no. Trump's that's what. It, but, but well, right. That's Ryan's problem. Ryan is. You know how. You but know, a doctrinaire Republican uh, president, you know, someone tied to the party, yeah. would also be living in fear of the Freedom Caucus because he right. would or she would want to go right. through the party that's system. Not Trump's and, issue. And that's he, not his he, issue. You couldn't care less. They could care less. They could care less. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about this administration. Uh, what job you getting? I'm not getting a job. I'm not getting. I, you know, I would, I would you would would you work in a Trump administration? I, look, let me just be very clear. My my goal, my view is to, as I said during the primary um, and the general, I will say here that my goal is to to make him the best president possible. And however that plays itself out, it'll play itself out. I believe in America first. The men and women who are called to serve her um, are secondary, and in and it matters to me what we do as a nation. I'm concerned when I see our young people protesting the election of a president. I respect and honor their right to do that, and totally understand why they do it. But then it becomes incumbent on the the new administration to address that and to begin to ease that. But it also becomes incumbent on them as citizens to sort of okay, let's okay, I got that off. I feel about 5% better. Let me see what they do. Let me see how they roll out the administration. Let me see what they do during those first 100 days. Let me see if all the fears that I have pent up inside of me come true in some form or fashion, or I'm relieved of that, that weight by what the president says and what the president does. My goal is to help on that latter point, to relieve that weight um, on the backs and the hearts of citizens in this country who profoundly reject this administration because of everything you said at the very beginning of our talk about how this campaign was run and how it led to giving credence to an ugliness, an underbelly of our nation, which as a sidebar, we need to deal with. We need to recognize, all right? we could sit there and, and just as again top line say, oh, well, Donald Trump, you know, awakened all of this misogynist, you know, racist, uh, KKK, xenophobic, KKK stuff. All right, so what the hell are we going to do about it? All right, what do we do about that? Because we need to acknowledge that it's still a part of who we are. They're part of that fabric too. It's like having a beautiful quilt and having a stain on it. Now that was your grandmama quilt, and and that was quilted for her by her mama. And it's got the stain that's been there a long time. So what are you going to do about the stain? Are you going to try to remove the stain? Or are you just going to accept that the stain is there? And I think that's the challenge that we as citizens have right now in this new era. We are in uncharted space. You said a moment ago 
about President-elect Donald Trump. He is the freest president we've had in a generation. And Michael Steele, former chairman of the Republican National Committee, I pray that you are correct I do in too. terms of the what that means in terms of having a pragmatic populist president of the United States. Michael Steele, thank you very much for coming Always back good to, be to Cape you. Up. And um, hmm, maybe we'll have you back. I hope so. I'd like to come back and just see if anything I said happened. <laughs> Yeah, because clearly your crystal ball is crystal clear. It's it's crystal clear. And I'm always helping. I got a good cup of coffee and a nice cookie. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You know what? Do me a favor. Subscribe and then rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.